Let's uh, go to God in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you be with us? Would you take over? Would you speak to us right where we are? You know what we stand in need of and what we need to hear. So God, would you come through? Would you touch us where we're hurt? Would you impact us uh, uh, where we're struggling? Would you meet us in our greatest need right now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you who are here today, maybe for the first or second time, and you don't know me, don't judge me by the next sentence I'm about to say. <laughs> and just listen to the whole sermon before you get up and leave. But listen, uh, uh, I am, those of you who do know me, you know this already, right? Those of you who love me and, and you're close to me, you already know this. I am deeply passionate about and in love with the villains. The villains. I love the villains. I cheer on the villains in movies, TV, animated series, and especially comic books. I cheer for the villains. I am all for the Kang Dynasty. I want to see him destroy the Avengers. I am all for the bad guy. I want to see the bad guy, man. Nobody's with me? Nobody? Does anybody else in here have a soft spot in their heart for the villains? All right, we got, we got five people. Okay, five people are on my, on my team. All right. <laughs> you know, I find myself cheering for the villain more often than not. And uh, you see, the way that I see it is that many people in this world are misunderstood. Many people in this world have a different perspective than ours. Many people, you see, some people have good points, but the wrong approach. And I have empathy for many people because when you learn their story, you, you find that, oh, maybe something went wrong, or maybe they were abused, or maybe something happened to change their perspective or their view on life. I am a person of hope, and I believe that the villains, anybody who's considered a villain, can be redeemed. I believe that anybody who, uh, 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 who has walked away from goodness, the goodness of Jesus Christ can be brought back to the light of Jesus Christ. That no one is too far gone that Jesus can't step in and touch their lives. I believe that we are all redeemable. You see, Eric Killmonger wasn't really a villain, was he? Uh, Eric Killmonger just wanted to share the technology of Wakanda with all the suffering and oppressed people of the world. And, and he saw the small nation of Wakanda as being selfish because they didn't show uh, love to and, and show their power and, and, and their influence to all the colonized people of the world, even though they had the power and the technology to do it. And he wanted to do something about that. Killmonger, my hero in Black Panther. The hyenas from The Lion King. All they want to do is eat. And the whole land is controlled by these dominating lions, the king of the jungle. And they want to take all the antelope for themselves. The lions, I mean, the, 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 the hyenas can't survive off grass and grubs. They're carnivores. They want something to eat too. The lions keep preventing them from having 
a good meal. Squidward is not really a villain. He's a minimum wage worker who just wants some peace and quiet when he gets home. He, he, he wants to go home and wants to enjoy life, but he keeps being interrupted by an inconsiderate, annoying, loud, obnoxious neighbor named SpongeBob SquarePants. If SpongeBob was your neighbor, you would be considered a villain too. Magneto from X-Men fame, one of my favorites. He is the Malcolm X of the mutant rights movement. <laughs> Magneto believed that humans didn't like mutants anyway. And if you align yourself with them, that they would harm you. They would do something to find a way to harm you, to take you into custody. And he's right. Many thought that Thanos was right. Because Thanos wanted to see a sustainable planet. He wanted everyone to have the resources they needed. They want, he wanted everyone to enjoy their life, even though he was going to snap half of them away. You see, some villains are right in principle, but yet harmful in their approach. But I believe that everyone can be redeemed. If we know the story of Scripture, that is the story of Scripture. That there are some people in this book who have committed crimes against humanity, who have done the unthinkable, who have turned their backs, who have uh, uh, committed all kinds of things, yet God still pursues them. God still loves them. If we know the big story of the Scripture, we know that God loves humans from Genesis to Revelation. That no one is too far gone that God can't reach. I'd like for us to study some of these villains, some of these characters. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a character study on, on four different characters in the scripture who we would consider the villains. So buckle your seatbelts for the next four weeks of Redeemed Villains. Today, I'd like for us to journey, navigate to Acts chapter number 9. We'll be reading the first nine verses. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up or turn them on to Acts chapter 9. If you didn't bring your Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen as well. Today, we'll be looking at a villain in the New Testament named Saul of Tarshish. Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. Verse number one reads, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven shined, uh, flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul, we know Saul as the Apostle Paul, who got a name change later on in the New Testament. I'm sorry about that. But we see him here as Saul. We're not, this isn't the introduction of Saul. We're actually introduced to Saul a a few chapters back in chapter 7. I believe it's verse 58 that tells us that Saul was a young man. He was a young man who uh, uh, was uh, attending to the coats of those who were committing a murder. Chapter 7 tells us that there's a a deacon named uh, 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 what's the deacon's name? Stephen. Stephen is speaking the good news of Jesus. And the Jewish leaders of that day didn't want to hear it. Uh, you can read the story for themselves, but it was just like a child throwing a tantrum. They put their hands on their ears and say, ah, la, la, la. I don't know if they say, la, 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 la. But they put their hands on their ears because they didn't want to hear what Stephen had to say. Have you ever seen a child? Or have you ever acted like that? And what did they do? They called him a blasphemer, and they grabbed stones and stoned Stephen to death. And the text says that to get comfortable, they took off their coats and gave them to this young man who sat on the sideline and observed. His name was Saul. This reminds me of something. You see, as I look at the calendar and I see that this month we are celebrating Native American Heritage Month. Shout out to all my Native American brothers and sisters out there. We celebrate with you. We remember your history. We recognize your struggle. We remember the atrocities that you've had to endure. Like... When President Abraham Lincoln ordered the hanging of 38 Dakota Sioux in Mankato, Minnesota, it's an hour and a half drive from here, the largest mass hanging in U.S. recorded history is down the street from here. You see, colonizers continue to use murder and disease, and starvation to ethnically cleanse this land. To get rid of, to eliminate the native population from the great state of Minnesota. And these colonizers' kids observed, stood by, and held their coats while they watched their parents and their grandparents do what they did. Those images stuck with those kids. And those kids grew up to become the leaders of this state. And those kids grew up to become the leaders of this country. 
And those kids grew up and and passed on that information and that way of living and that thought to their kids. You see, we are all products of our environment. And we are products of our history. And that is why history is so important for us to learn so that we don't end up repeating it. At the age of 13, Saul of Tarsus was sent away to Jerusalem to study in the temple uh, with the legendary rabbi named Gamaliel. He studied under Gamaliel. Going to study under Gamaliel was like going to Harvard or Yale or Princeton in our current day context. This is elite status. Paul got the best, Saul got the best education that a kid could get at that time. And in Acts chapter 5, verse number 38, we see the wisdom of Gamaliel. Actually, he warns the Jewish leaders to leave those Christians alone. He actually says, leave those Christians alone, right? Because if they are actually following God and their movement is actually of God, then you will never be able to stop them because you will only find yourselves fighting against God. Young Saul learned under Gamaliel. He learned the scriptures under Gamaliel. He learned the text. He learned the traditions under Gamaliel. But he did not get this point of wisdom from Gamaliel. Have you ever uh, uh, spent time with someone who, who was so academically strong yet so lacking in wisdom and common sense? <laughs> As Saul grew up, He allowed anger to develop in him because things didn't seem to go the way he wanted them to go. People were not following uh, uh, the religion the way that he wanted them to follow. People were, 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 were going against what he thought was right, and he thought that he had it all together. He thought he had all the answers. He thought that his way was the only way, and so he allowed that anger against people to turn him into a religious terrorist. You know any religious terrorists today? I know plenty of them. A stone-cold killer, Paul became. He he became the very thing that he studied that he should not become. Because he had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And if my memory serves me correctly, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 18 tells us that thou shalt not murder. And that's exactly what Paul became. A murderer of Christians. Because they didn't follow the way that he thought they should. In this, uh, in in a book, it's a book called uh, When Religion Becomes Evil. I think I have a picture of it by Charles Kimball. He says in this book, one of the ways a religion becomes evil is when its followers are called to harm other human beings in the name of God. It is no longer, or it becomes no longer a religion, it becomes an ideology. If we, listen, if we all know the big story of God, right, we get just a a, a gist, just read the Bible at a surface level, we see that God loves humanity from the beginning to the end. 
God continues to love humanity. God sent his only son to die in the place of humanity. God wants all human beings to be redeemed. Therefore, because God loves humans so much, kidnapping and land stealing and murder and bombing of innocent families and sweet babies is never an appropriate action. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what government you represent. There's three lessons that we learn from today's text about God's response to villains. How does God respond to the villain? Number one, God chooses the unlikely. God is sovereign. That word sovereign means he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And God chooses who he wants to use to accomplish his goal. That's his choice. He gets that right. We don't get to second guess God. God, you sure you want to use that person? That's God's choice. God Chooses who he wants to use, not who we elect. God chose Saul, a murderer, a religious terrorist, a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, an opponent to Jesus. He chose that person to be the greatest voice in the New Testament church. God can use anyone, and God can use you. God especially wants to use you. God is calling you right now, no matter where you are or how far you feel you are from God. He's pursuing you. He's calling you. I think that's the word of the day, pursuing, because God loves you. He wants you to be closer to him, and he has an assignment for you. God wants you to do all the things in this book. God wants you to do the stuff. God wants you to be a part of bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth. God wants you involved. And he's calling you. He's pricking your heart. He is motivating you right now. There's something in your life that he, he keeps on pressing the button. And you're like, no, 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 no. He keeps pressing the button. You're like, ah, oh, I don't think it's going to be. Look, maybe you feel that you're inadequate. Or maybe you feel that you're unqualified. I want to let you know that God qualifies those he calls. He wants to know, are you going to step out in faith and watch him do his thing? You think I'm qualified to be here? No, I'm not qualified to be here. I haven't been qualified for any job that I've ever taken, but God does the work. He wants to know, do you trust him? Not trusting in yourself. Are you your own God? Has anybody in the scriptures ever been qualified to do anything that's been done? No. Moses was a murderer. Talk about him next week. The greatest prophet in the Old Testament. All right, let me get back on the script. <laughs> Number two, God, how does God deal with villains? Watch this. God adds to your destiny by subtraction. Hmm. Many of us have plenty of stuff, don't we? 
Don't raise your hand. I know, I know you got plenty of stuff. Uh, one study that I read said the average American has 300,000 items in their homes. When you go home today, go ahead and start counting. One, two, oh, that's too much. <laughs> we, not only do we have 300,000 uh, items, uh, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled over the last 50 years. We're just building bigger houses. Just move our junk into a whole nother big pile of junk. Some of us even have garages that are so full we can't even park our vehicles in them. I'm not calling no names. <laughs> Listen, some of us can't wait for Am the Amazon delivery truck to pull up to the door. We get so excited. We're just waiting. We're just looking at the, at the app, waiting for them to say that they delivered our stuff, right? We get this feeling of ecstasy. Why? Because I got more junk coming. We love our stuff because we have a clutter problem. One study that I read said that people who describe their living spaces as cluttered were more likely to be fatigued and experience depression than those who describe their homes as restful and restorative. It goes on to say, or another study said, uh, stated that decluttering can have a number of positive effects on your mental health. For instance, it helps you to gain a sense of control over your environment. It improves your mood as well as provides a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction. You see, oftentimes, God is not able to get the best effort, the best time, and the best resources or the best talent out of us because we are overloaded. We love to fill our calendars and our schedules. We love to fill our lives and our homes. And, and we just love more. Always asking God for more. He's like, for what? So you can just pile it up. This is why I love God. Because he specializes in doing more with less. God added to Saul's destiny by subtraction. You see, when Jesus showed up, what did he do? He allowed Saul to lose his sight. He allowed him to lose his sight. Why? And, and he allowed him to gain a better vision, clarity of Jesus. Not only did Saul lose his sight, but watch this. He willingly had to give something up. He willingly had to part with his pride. See, when we think we know everything, when I think I'm better than somebody else, or, you know, that, them people over there at that church, I'm, I'm so far more advanced than those people. Uh, when we start thinking that we have all the answers, we are in a dangerous spiritual place because those are the people that Satan loves to get his hands on. Ask Judas. I'm going to talk about him in this series, too. Pride is a problem, and Saul was so full of it. Listen, when you are filled with pride and thinking that you have all the answers and your way is the right way and why can't everybody see things the way I see them, all that kind of stuff, whenever you're filled with pride, you lack love and compassion. It's no room for it. You can't fit it. 
All right, let me move on. I see the worship team. I'm sorry. Me, point number three is this. How does God respond to villains in this way? He invites us to grow in love and compassion. In verse number 17, we see a, we're introduced to this character named Ananias. Ananias is a Christ follower. Ananias believes in Jesus Christ, and he's in Damascus, and he's like, Mm-mm, that man Paul coming to get me, Saul, excuse me, before his name changed. And the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go and pray for him. He said, not me. You ain't put me out there like that. He going to kill me, God. And the Holy Spirit nudged him to go and pray for Saul. And what did he do? He finally gave in and said, okay, I'll go. He goes, he lays his hands on Saul. He calls Saul my brother. And he prays for him. And what happens? Immediately, they said something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he was miraculously healed. Not only was he healed physically, but watch this, spiritually he was healed because in that moment, what did Saul do? He, his perspective was changed. He saw God in a new light. He said, God isn't this murderous being that is coming after me. God showed me love and mercy and compassion, and now I need to go and show love, mercy, and compassion to all those around me. Love, compassion is what God wants us to grow in. That's the only, that's his only way. That is his way of transforming this world. That is his way of bringing heaven to earth. That is his way of transforming the Twin Cities. If we all could get together and show some love and compassion to our fellow neighbors. All right. Let me move on to here because I love God and I think that he is powerful and amazing. I love that he chooses the unlikely because he chose an unlikely person like me. I love God because he adds to our destinies by subtraction and I am that person. That I thank you, God, for subtracting some things out of my life. I thank you, God, that when I was on my way to go and do something demonic, that you came in and you stopped me. You, you blocked me. and You kept me from going down that path. You closed some doors so that I could continue to go down the hallway into the open one. You changed my life. Thank you, God, for adding to my life by subtracting. And I thank God that he provides more opportunities for me. To grow in love and compassion. The more, watch this. I say, God bless me to grow in more love and compassion. And you know what he does? He blesses me with more difficult people in my life. I'm like, I go over and meet a new pastor. And like, we're going to do all this work together. We're going to get there. And then this pastor is just, just annoying the heck out of me. And he's like, yeah, I want to teach you patience, love, and compassion. Do you want to grow in love and compassion? Do you want to be, go from villain to superhero? I believe that one of the ways we grow is through humility. God can't touch our hearts until we are humble before him. So listen, on your connect card, there's a space right there that says, my next step. I'm going to invite you to do something this week. I'm going to invite you to actually pray with me. I'll do the same thing. Every day this week, will you pray that God makes you more humble? That's a hard prayer. But will you pray every day this week, God, will you make me more humble? Because watch the James chapter 4, verse 6, somewhere around there, says God opposes the proud. But watch this. He shows favor to the humble. 
I want to see more of God's favor in my life. I want to see more God's blessing in my life. I want to see him moving and motivating and directing my life. And I want to see that in yours too. So if you're willing to take that step and pray the same prayer, just write yes on that line. And at the, when you leave service, drop it in that basket, bucket, that box. I keep calling it a basket. That box at the back of the room, along with tithes and offering, if you have that as well. Thank you so much. Would you stand with me? Worship team's going to sing. We're running out of time. So look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to invite you to pray. Prayer teams, if, if you're here, come on up to the front. Maybe you're here today and you are like, man, God, I am full of pride and I admit it. I need you to humble me, God. Will you meet me here today? I think that there's someone here who has not encountered a, a Jesus the way Saul encountered him. Because he will meet you on that road to destruction and will stop you in your tracks. If you have not had an encounter with Jesus like that, I invite you to come to open your heart to see what he's up to. I also wrote down that God inspired this. It was darkness and light. And maybe there's somebody here today who's experiencing a dark time. Maybe you feel uh, uh, like the walls are closing in or maybe uh, uh, you feel stuck. Like, I don't know what next step to take or where to go or, or who to turn to. I think the Holy Spirit is nudging you and moving on your heart right now because he wants to break something free in your life. Listen, prayer teams are up here to pray with you about anything you have going on. The worship team is going to sing, I'm going to pray. Count this prayer as the closing of the service. Some people tell me, I don't know when the service was over. Count this prayer as the closing of the service. Feel free to worship, go get your kids, pray, whatever you need to do to meet Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, would you show us how good you are as we leave this place, God, would you, uh, uh, would you wash over us afresh? As the worship team sings, God, would you, would you sing a new song into our hearts? God, would you encounter us on our road right now? Wherever we are on that road, we want to uh, experience you. God, I pray blessing on this crowd today. I pray love and compassion on this crowd today. I pray peace and joy. I pray repair on those areas that are broken right now. You can knit things together. There is nothing impossible for you, God. So we hand it over to you. In Jesus' name we pray.